Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, it's time for... Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Yes, recording the week after Hollywood's biggest night. Literally days after the biggest night. Hours. And we're talking about, of course, the Producers Guild Awards. (laughs) No, we're talking about Oscar, but we should say who we are. We should. I'm Jesse Gaskell, and you're Mike Sweeney. Yes, correct. And we're writers on The Conan Show, Mm -hmm. and I guess other Conan endeavors, whatever those may be. Yes. (laughs) Conan's corporate gigs. Right, yes. Take a look behind the scenes of Conan's late-night career. His storied late-night career. Yes, in television. And yet you have the temerity to bring up the Oscars. That is, I know. That is film. It's a lesser media. That is film. Yes. Oh, but you're working on a movie right now. So you have every right. I am. I'm, I'm playing both sides. Yeah. I'm, I may be at the Oscars next year. You don't know. I expect it. <laughs> you could be hosting. I, I might be the only one willing to do it. You're still far away. So how did you take in the Oscars and things that may have happened within those Oscars? I'm on another continent right now. So I woke up to the news of the Oscars and many texts from friends sure directing me to watch a certain clip. Uh, Yes, yes. Best costume. (laughs) So that's that's an interesting way to to see what happened. That was how I woke up. Mm -hmm. Specifically... I was actually getting my boyfriend ready to go to the airport. Uh huh. And you have to dress so him. So we had to wake up early. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get him ready. Here's your lunch for the trip. Um, but we were up early, and then I was getting very distracted by watching. And I was well, yeah. trying to explain to him what had happened with the slap. And somehow then we started talking about. Scientology. I mean, somehow, you know how. Sure. But I understand. We were sort of equating it to Tom Cruise jumping on the couch about Katie Holmes. And then Uh he was doing an impression for me of Tom Cruise jumping on the couch and he split his pants. (laughs) Oh my God, that's fantastic. (laughs) And I couldn't stop laughing. His travel pants? His travel pants. And he had already packed everything else. And we had barely gotten his suitcase closed. Uh the night before. And uh, so we had to open. It was actually kind of a disaster. And he was running late. And it was just like, oh, my God, is, are we going to be late? Because oh, you were great. doing a Tom Cruise impression. <laughs> you can tell them 
people at the uh, gate. At the airport? Yeah, yeah explain they, they that probably and they'll, understand. they'll hold the plane for you. <laughs> he was doing Tom Cruise on the couch. The Oprah jump. I was wondering, was there a part of you that was really sad that we weren't on the air when that happened? I mean, immediately the writers all got on an email chain and we were joking about bringing the show back just for one day. And right, right. Conan had a tweet about Conan had a tweet that about too. It that people loved, yes. Because it did seem very ripe for her late night. Oh my God, it's such a giant, <laughs> crazy story that literally all anyone is, was thinking about for a day, so. So, yeah, what, were you like, oh, it's too bad that we're not in the air? I honestly felt a little bit relieved because... Yeah, right. I just knew, well, everything's, every joke's going to be made. Exactly. By tomorrow, and there's going to be all these other takes on it, and... It's almost annoying when it's a le- it's literally a legal obligation that you have to address a story. Yeah. I used to like on our show when we'd kind of go after things that weren't the most obvious first choice for a target. We did a great job of avoiding yeah, the, right. the big story that all the other late night shows were hitting and instead targeting some something about like an iguana turned a hundred right, right. in Duluth. Right. <laughs> With a story that big, you just everyone has to address it the next night. But it it is fun to try to come up with your own original take on it that's Yeah, that's fits so your many show. times removed from the story that you're you know no one else is gonna do it. <laughs> right, right, right. I mentioned earlier that I'm in a distant land. Right. And it's actually it's my last week here. So oh, I'm gonna get to reveal my God. location soon. I know. I'm so looking forward to being back in the same time zone as you. Okay. So you're allowed to reveal where you were once you're gone from there. I think so. That's okay. what I've decided. Sure. I, yeah, you're, your, <laughs> you're your own lawyer. Okay. However you want to do it. I've been very forthright about where I am. You have. That's true. Uh, so, But I was going to give one final clue. Okay. For those still playing along, if anyone is. Oh, here's some guesses. Oh, yes. That weren't correct. Some guesses we've seen that weren't correct. Cyprus, Malta, New Zealand, Iceland, Greece. Someone on Twitter thought I was in the outback of Australia. Okay. Which means maybe my connection doesn't sound very good. Oh, that might be it. (laughs) But I have one final hint. And this hint is the name of the city Mm. that I'm in is actually the name of... 23 towns in the United States. Wow, that's great. That's a great hint. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. Springfield? (laughs) Springfield, Estonia. (laughs) I got it. I wonder how many towns have that name in the country you're in. Oh. Probably just Maybe just the one. Well, hey, let's get into today's episode. (laughs) Let's do it. We have a great guest. Oh, my God. I love this guest. He is so talented. Truly a sweetheart. Really nice guy. Such a wonderful guy. And I had no idea that until I was learning about him, some details about him for this podcast, that he started out as a, a late night writer, which I think is so fascinating. He's had such a interesting career trajectory. I think it's fascinating to, to yeah, hear about. I know. It really gave me hope that maybe someday I'll be right. a mega TV star. An SNL cast member for start movie star. Yeah. And then go off from there. We're talking, of course, about Will Forte, who some of you probably know um, that at the beginning of Conan's TBS run, 
he was a recurring sketch player on Conan playing TBS founder Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. And he would come in riding on a stuffed buffalo. Called Teddy Jr. Called Teddy Jr., yes. It became a, a go-to bit on the show. And we became so popular, he would um, travel with us when we did um, travel shows in different cities. We'd have Ted Turner show up. And so it really became a kind of a, a tent pole of the show. Yes, a staple. Mm-hmm. And then you also know him, of course, from Saturday Night Live, The Last Man on Earth, MacGruber, The Lego Movie, and much more to come, I'm sure. Oh, and heads up, Will's dogs really wanted to be part of this interview, so you might hear them a little bit, just in case that's triggering for you. If there are any mailmen <laughs> listening, you may be triggered by some barking. We see you. We hear you. <laughs> we make space for you. And now here's Will Forte. These dogs, they're already going crazy, so... Oh, yeah, they know that you're recording audio right now. Right. They always know. Just go somewhere else. Okay. They Sorry. literally waited <laughs> patiently <laughs> until Jesse said, welcome, Will. Go. Go. Oh, wow, they listened. Well, so we we just started talking about the TBS years of Conan, and so we thought, who better than to help us with that transition than the man who played Ted Turner on so many Conan sketches. Oh, yeah. That was a fun experience. You forgot you played the character. We just re- <laughs> I feel like we just reminded you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted Turner. I, think, I feel like the first time I did it was one of the first shows, right? It was, it was, I think, the first week. I think so. Pretty early on, yes. I found out, I talked to Matt O'Brien, who created... You know, the Ted Turner character with you. Oh, yeah. He was amazing. Yeah, he was great. I didn't do anything. I would just come in and say the words. He he, uh, uh, he was great. Collaborative process. But <laughs> yeah, he reminded me. I forgot that we rehearsed it. He had hi- went out and hired somebody to give it a try, and it didn't go that well in rehearsal. And then I, I think he had seen you in a sketch on SNL playing Zell Miller, and he thought, oh, you'd be great playing this kind of Southern sassy guy. (laughs) That makes sense. We were so excited when you said yes, because we're like, oh, he's not going to. We just thought you'd be too busy to do it. So we were very excited. Was it the buffalo that convinced you? (laughs) That that certainly had something to do with it. No, I was, if, if I remember correctly, the timeline this was in the period after, right after I had left SNL the first couple of years after that. And so I was, uh-huh. I didn't really have a lot going on. I was just hanging around, not really doing anything. You were so. just at Warner Brothers wandering around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Matt did a, you, you. Yeah. And then off and on again for uh, a couple of years. There's a compilation of you on all the times you did it. And it's like 45 minutes long. So you did it many, many times. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I know I did it. I, I did it in a couple of different locations. I remember New York very specifically. Right. And I feel like I did it in Atlanta also. Right. Were you guys? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You were great. You flew in from L.A. to New York to do it at the Beacon Theater. That was the most fun. That that one was... That was exciting. People went nuts. People were going nuts over everything. Those audiences yes. for the entire shows were just like super energized from start to finish. Yeah. yeah. When we go to other cities, I think also as of our first time back in New York since um, he had stopped doing late night. So I think the New York crowd was kind of extra excited. Yeah. And then when you, you came down that long aisle on the... On the Buffalo. Yeah. The place went insane. And... 
you participated in the first gay wedding on ever done on television. Oh, I forgot wow. about that. So did I. Matt reminded me of that, too. I totally forgot about that. That's right. Okay, well, I'm happy about that. Yeah, Conan performed um, a wedding for our uh, costume designer, Scott. It was a real ceremony. Conan got, you, you know, became a, uh, oh my God, there's ants crawling up the wall in my, oh my wow, God, this, this is, is an animal heavy episode. <laughs> Salvador Dali. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Conan became an online minister, officiated this wedding on the air, and then they left the theater on your the back of your buffalo with you. Oh, that's great. Oh, okay. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that that's like, oh, yeah, right, right. What a fun experience. Just every step of the way was always just, you guys made it so easy for me. I mean, Matt, Matt O'Brien, he he just was so good at writing those things. It was just always fun to come in. And, and then I didn't have to be super, I, I get very nervous about stuff. So, so th this was one of the rare times I could come in and just be pretty relaxed and know I was going to have fun. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's a fun person to do an impression of because it's not someone I think people... It doesn't have to be spot on. Yes. Like you can kind of just. Those are the only impersonations I know how to do. Non-spot on. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one really knows that much about it, what Ted Turner sounds right, like. So. Right. Not in a long time. Yes. You're in the area. In the Hey, did Ted, did you ever hear anything about like Ted Turner ever seen it and hmm. getting back to you in any way about never, it? Or? Never heard anything. No. <laughs> Once he sold TBS, he was like, I'm done with television. Well, TBS never really seemed to have any notes. I mean, I don't know if that was part of Conan's deal coming onto it, but there were never like network notes. No, none that right? None that I ever heard. Well, Will, could we go back to because you've you've had a long experience with late night TV. I know that you were a big David Letterman fan. Yes. Did you watch Conan's late night at all? Was that a show that you watched as well or Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in fact, I got to work at Letterman. I was only there for about nine months. And the I remember coming in the very first, the first night that I had come, they were doing this unusual thing. I guess they didn't usually have table reads at, at Letterman, but they said, we're going to try something new. Let's have a table read tonight. So we went around reading different sketches. And at the end of the first night of reading sketches, I got pulled aside because I was the new guy. And the guy said, because I wrote some pretty weird, absurd things. And they said, that's good, but that seems a little a little more like Conan. Oh, funny. And, <laughs> and I was intrigued because I was like, to me, that was a huge compliment. I, th yeah. I think to them it was a compliment too. I think right, they all right. yeah. loved what you were doing. But it, did, it, it always seemed to me like, like Conan was such a logical heir to, the, uh, to what Letterman was doing. And kind of, you know, the older he got, he would... The, the, Less likely he would go and participate in in uh, remotes, right. yeah, remotes away from the set, stuff like that. I, yeah, I'm not trying to slag on him. I think he would no, no, admit that that happened. But as that was happening, I was able to get my fix on that fun, weird stuff that made me fall in love with Letterman through Conan, who like, yeah. you know, took the baton and really, uh, you know, continued making crazy strides forward. So I, you know, huge love for David Letterman, huge love for Conan. They were, they were always doing it right. Yeah. What do you think it was about their style that you just felt really vibed with your comedy? You just never knew what you were going to get. There was always something crazy and it, it, it didn't seem like it was trying to appeal to everybody. It was like, oh, that's, they don't care if only a very small sliver of people are going to respond to this. <laughs> and usually yeah. because, because they made that decision, 
more people would respond to it than they thought just because they weren't like trying to, oh, but are people going to get that? Whatever. They just made a lot of good, strong, fun choices. And, and they made those choices with such confidence, even when they were not the best ideas, <laughs> they went in with such confidence that they turned into the best right, ideas. Right, right, but I mean, right. usually, I mean, that what a writing staff you guys have had pretty much the whole way through. Like those, I just remember those early days. That was when I was, you know, I had been at Letterman. And so I, I uh, was buddies with John Glazer and I would oh. mm-hmm. meet people during that period. And then when I came to SNL, I kind of kept in touch with people and you're like the New York Yankees with, with writers. (laughs) (laughs) I love you call it confidence. I I think born from having to put a show on every night. So it was just like, all right, I guess we're going with (laughs) this. This is all we have. (laughs) Right. No, it was so delightful. It was just so absurd. And it just was exactly what I wanted in a show so it was uh well you mentioned saturday night live and of course you started there i think in 2002 and did your letterman experience working there help you assimilate at saturday night live did it kind of, do you feel like it was good i i know you also worked on some sitcoms as well after you left letterman which i didn't know as a writer which is yeah oh, cool amazing too did all that did you bring that all to the four when you went to SNL or was, was SNL such a different? That's an interesting question. Basically I had come up through the groundlings and the groundlings prepares you for that type of writing. Like a uh, every week you got to come in with new stuff, that kind of experience, which I think people who did stuff at second city would probably have a similar, uh, you know, mindset that you seemed kind of prepared for that type of weekly creative thing that you just had to, constantly be churning out new material. That said, Letterman was so terrifying for me because I'd only had one job before Letterman. Oh, I wow. worked at the Jenny McCarthy sketch show oh, with uh, John, show, yeah. John Glazer and John Benjamin oh, and a oh, bunch cool. of other people. <laughs> we were the the writers on that show with, with some right. other people. But uh, So to go into this experience where I'm getting to work for one of my comedy heroes, basically, the, you know, and then flaming out, not doing a good job. Like, I, it was just not a... You're talking about Jenny McCarthy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> My comedy and vaccine knowledge heroes. <laughs> it was just terrifying to think, like, yeah. when I went back to SNL or got that opportunity to not go, oh my God, there's another one of my, to get in my head dream about it. Yeah. jobs. Right, and right. am I going to just flame out like I did at Letterman? <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm, that's such a nightmare. Yeah, oh yeah. It was crazy. The, the, <laughs> in the, in the time between Letterman and getting the opportunity to audition at SNL, I, I had, like you said, I, I did a couple sitcoms and they were such good experiences. Uh, Third Rock from the Sun and, that 70s show were the... Well, those were huge sitcoms. The last one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the first time that I had been at a sitcom that was successful and going to stick around for a while. So I'm like, oh, my God, am I going to give up this delightful experience where I've finally gotten on a show where it doesn't go just like 13 and out? So that was terrifying, too. Yeah. So there was a lot kind of floating around in my head when I had to make that SNL decision. The first year I said no. The first year I said no, I wasn't going to do it because I, I think I just pushed out. And then the second year, they think God asked me back. Well, I'm glad they kept after you. Yes, I am too. Jeez. <laughs> also, 
Saying no can be very powerful if you do it the right time. That's and, true. And Maybe that's what made them want you more. What do you mean, no? Yeah, we must get forte. <laughs> I think that they thought it was like this, you know, power move. For me, it was just, right. you know, and I was trying to portray it like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm going to do right. this and that. Like, ooh, this elusive forte. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, it was just like, oh, I don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to fuck it up. Well, I get that completely because it, I mean, sometimes if you are successful too soon, that happens where it's like, oh, you know, you had this dream and then the dream comes true, but you haven't, like you said, when you got Letterman, you hadn't been at a daily show writing that rigorously before. I mean, I'm sure that that was a huge, that was just a shock for your system to oh, yeah. have to write that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost a, a curse if for something that good to happen that soon. Yeah. 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 I mean, the one thing about uh, Saturday Night Live that I had not really thought about was the fact that at at Letterman, you just would, you know, usually turn stuff into an inbox somewhere. You know, you'd go and walk it down and then somebody would read it later. At SNL, the stuff that I would write, you'd be writing to perform at the table. So I could actually, it would have its uh, day in court. And I would get to be in the court. Right. Well, I was, I guess I was one of the lawyers. But <laughs> over there, you just kind of turn, you turn it in. Right. You turn it in. You don't really get to hear it, except for that very first night where, where they right. actually had a table read, which, where then they, they didn't and then ever they said, do it again. Let's never do that again. <laughs> yeah. No, but that makes sense to you. As opposed to being funny on paper, you got to give it life. Your ideas came to life at SNL. Yeah. Cause I would have no idea. When I would turn this stuff in at Letterman, you know, all the time I, I would look in, there were these uh, boxes on the door, at least uh, back when I was there, uh, you know, little files that people would stick their assignments in. And I would go through people's things and read them and just read so much funny stuff. And then it wasn't always the stuff that I found the funniest to be the stuff making it right. onto the show, which was always interesting. And, you know, and maybe... Maybe I was making the wrong decisions in my head as to what was funny, but... That sounds like a hard... Where you're not really getting communal feedback. It sounds a little disorienting and kind of almost like keeping you at an arm's distance in a way. You know, some of that stuff happens at SNL, too. Like, you will do a table read and something will go very, very well and won't make it into the show and you just kind of won't know why and you'll right. hear an excuse at some point later about why it didn't make it, right. which doesn't really make <laughs> sense. And you're like, all right, all right. <laughs> and then it's kind of, you have in your head, though, how it went at the table read and you're like, all right, well, I know that was good. Right. I wasn't crazy because it was getting good laughs. But then it's, it is also funny how when it's your thing... Who knows how messed up your barometer is, you know? Right. Yeah. Like I like I could think something went great and then something else. If I was just an observer back that didn't have any connection to any of the sketches, it's like a what is it, confirmation bias or or Right, right. You'd be rolling your eyes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like I heard once there were all these winophiles or whatever they're called. Oenophiles? What what are wine? Oenophiles. Was I close? Oh man. And they were, this was like a taste test thing. They were supposed to decide what was the best of these white wines. And they served them all red wines, but they were blindfolded. So they, oh, right. and they had already been told they were white wines. So they were just, their minds convinced themselves that they were white wines. Oh, and these wow. were all wine connoisseurs 
of the highest levels. Uh, I drank a pot drink last night. But I think some of it's still <laughs> floating around in my head. Coming down from it. Yeah. I would think the table read and getting that acceptance or laughs from your peers, to me, I, if I was getting laughs at table reads, I wouldn't even care if it got on the show, I think. I'd be yes, like, well, I'd care I mean, a little it, bit. But, but I, I think that would sustain me for a long time. I'd be like, well, they... Yeah, it's almost better because then you don't have to see it potentially fail that's right. in the show <laughs> for sure yeah for sure you're you're exactly right but at a certain point it starts to weigh on you a little bit right, you know right. oh what why why didn't that make it on the show what right yeah because i would always be told in the beginnings okay look you're you know the older people are are gonna get looked after the you know the people who were here and it makes sense you know you people right put your time in you should you should get mm-hmm. looked after more and but i was told oh your time will come when that's you and so i would keep you know just churning out stuff and this isn't just me this is everyone right yeah yeah. But, but specifically in my case it felt like i never then after seven or eight years was the one looked after oh. it was <laughs> then they were looking after the you know hey i'm a senior yeah yeah but i i mean it was what what a place it was it was what an experience yeah uh, one of a kind experience another reason why doing your show was so right so fun and, and really nice at the time because i i didn't have any kind of outlet for for that kind of live interaction with an audience. So to get to come and just yeah. not have to break myself emotionally each week with that crazy <laughs> SNL style. I just come in. Right. Matt O'Brien has written me this this just real winner. And then I just get to go out and yeah, like like go in front of this fun, energetic audience who was always I don't know, those those Conan audiences are the best. They're just always just so pumped. Oh yeah, we get them. Yeah. We give them cocaine before the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's three percent on your favorite products at Apple, two percent on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sofas, recliners, love seats. Everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Well, and Will, you appeared as a couch guest on Late Night as well um, before you played Ted Turner. Oh, yeah. Way back on Late Night. What was that like for you to be a late night guest? That was terrifying. 
It was, in fact, Conan was the very first one I ever, I ever did. Oh, wow. Ah, we were wondering. So it, it was, I still remember, I had worked out in my head exactly how I was going to tell every story down to the word. Like, and then it was like, uh-huh. am I going to forget any of that? <laughs> like, yeah. it was, and I, you know, and, and, and I remember going on and, and was terrified and time kind of slowed down and you're like, Oh, I remembered everything. <laughs> but it, there were like several sleepless nights sure. beforehand. And it's, yeah. And I still get nervous before doing shows, but it's, it's just, you get a little more used to it. It's see, I remember Rachel Dratt saying at some point, like, Oh, you know, some guest had fallen through mm-hmm. and she was going to come and, and she said, I'm going to go do Conan because they needed somebody to do something last minute. And I was like, Oh my God. I had so much respect for her to like go and it was, it was maybe even the day of. Uh-huh. I'm like, Oh yeah. How are you going to know what to say? What are you going to like? Right. And, and then you just realize, <laughs> Oh, that's right. You can just like talk like, right. like she's such a funny person anyway that she could just go in with no, material and and just you know the audience would will love her but uh yeah i think most people think that that's how all late night appearances are but actually most people prepare like you were preparing yeah that's rare to just show up that's the one bright side of if you do something really stupid (laughs) you go (laughs) okay well at least i can you know at least i'll get to talk about this on a you know i have one less thing to think about for a talk show (laughs) because this will be a good story yeah that's true since you were used to playing characters all the time, was this one of the first times where you kind of had to be yourself? Like, I, I imagine that yes. might be scary, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's weird because you, people would say, yeah, so just be yourself. But but like a fun version of yourself, like a, <laughs> a, a, a an exaggerated version of yourself. And you're like, what the fuck does that mean? Because you kind of come out and you... you don't really know until you get out there. And then you right. are whatever version of yourself that appears and you know it's like it's it's very weird to talk yeah. in front of an audience of people but but be talking as if it's just kind of a ho-hum conversation yeah in a conversation but be yourself but also make people laugh right but, you know it's just it's a weird thing that that took me a while to get used to and i'm, I'm still to a degree getting used to it Sure. Well, you always have to prepare, but it was there's probably an evolution to late night appearances for you too, where you were a guest as you became more well known. Did it get easier the more well known, the more famous? I'll use the word famous. The more famous you got, did those late night appearances become easier because the crowd was excited to see you, or did you feel right? They already knew you were going to be funny, right? I mean, it's still scary because you just you know yeah. it's it's not like I'm a you know, a 100% of people like me type of guy. <laughs> it's far lower percentages than that. So well, who doesn't like you're you? very popular. I'm not weighing into this. I'm just saying <laughs> I am somewhere <laughs> below 100% on the, the <laughs> likability range. You read one tweet, one <laughs> negative tweet. No, no, no. Exactly. Stuck with but you. It's exactly. like, you just never know. Like, like for, first of all, you know, you could come, I have had wonderful experiences where, where you definitely feel like, oh, this audience likes me and they're excited to see me. And, and that's a very good feeling to have. But then if you get one of those and then you get one, which is like a very tepid response and you're like, oh, these guys don't like me. <laughs> they hate me. And, oh, but no. you, you know, it could just be like a different audience who doesn't yeah, they're polite. get as excited for anything. Like, yeah. you know, right. but you just don't know. You're sitting up there and, and I twist those things around a little bit in my head and, and 
the more you do it, the more you just let it go and go, oh, this was, you know, it's somewhere on the spectrum of the things you've done. Some have gone really well. Some haven't gone as well. And it's like, my goal is always just don't do the very, don't do the one that people talk about for years and years because of how <laughs> shitty it was. And so I've, I've been bad, but I haven't been like memorably bad. Yeah. I think. You haven't gotten memed out for anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask about one story that you told in one of your late night appearances, which was uh, about <laughs> Max Weinberg in the locker room. <laughs> oh, yes. That, so yeah, I used to go to the, well, I don't know, 8H was the studio. So on the eighth floor, there was an NBC gym mm-hmm. and I would... And this was when you were at SNL, I'm assuming. It was when I was at SNL. Yeah. And I would go into the gym and then when I'd go into the uh, locker room after my my workout, you know, you'd be going in and take a shower and and I would several times I I kind of went in, Max would be post shower and he was like some degree of getting ready like like sometimes he was still just in his towel but several times he was like you know he'd like from what I remember but, the the part I really remember was from just kind of uh, burned you know, into your brain blowing himself dry and blowing his body dry also and then and then other people had told me that he he would blow <laughs> blow dry his butt and presumably <laughs> his butthole i believe i can't remember i would have to watch the story because it's been so long that my memories kind of fade away <laughs> well but. you you said balls definitely balls yes definitely his testicles yeah i had heard balls so now i'm assuming it was the entire taint yeah you get it you know you're gonna yeah. get some yeah. freaking collateral yeah you want to work the whole area air puff in your <laughs> in your butthole also so that <laughs> is not completely alive. Yeah, I've heard that confirmed from people. So I was so surprised because I told that story to, uh, it might have been Dan. Yeah, Dan Ferguson, probably Dan or Frank Smiley. Yeah, it might have been, you know what, I think it was Dan on this one. Oh, right. I'm pretty sure it was Dan. And, and, uh, God, they're both so wonderful. They were, they were always so great at like putting, helping put together your appearances. Guest segment producers. Insider lingo, insider lingo. <laughs> this is a very insider podcast. That's why you listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I told him the story and it was like, well, we, we can't just bring it on him. We have to ask him. I'm like, oh, there it goes. Oh, oh yeah. Not going to be able to do this story. I was wondering about that. And oh. they asked him and he was like totally cool with it. What? And it was wow. so, oh. I mean, I have so much respect for Max because what a freaking, yeah. I mean, it's just. Well, he was like, it's more airtime. Yeah. Exactly. I think he was dry blowing his genitalia specifically to try to get <laughs> mentioned on the show. He was playing the long game. That's the thing. It's like yeah. he, he was doing it like, in front of every SNL cast member. <laughs> That's how I go through life. It's like if I was in Max's situation, I would go, I'm going to blow dry my balls in here. And right. on the positive side, it's feels good. It dries my balls and it's like, <laughs> great. And on the negative side, if anybody says anything, uh, it's a fun story to tell on TV. It's win-win. Exactly. <laughs> and it gets people thinking about my balls. Yeah. Which is the goal. Yeah, I was very excited that he said that he would let us talk yeah, about it. Yeah, gave you his blessing. Because that was, what a fun story. And, and Conan, 
obviously with that with that kind of oh my god information just w- was so good at oh we just salivating fielding that. that information <laughs> well you drained a giant blister that like for a couple of years we had heard these stories and then i think colin quinn came on the show and told the story but without naming who it was and then you came on and it was just it was really cathartic to just have it all out there <laughs> because we had heard repeatedly, like every month or so, they'd be like, he did it again. We're hearing he, he dried them again up the, up on the eighth floor. So they thank you very much. I think that Dan had said that that particular day, they had had some really good E Street band news, like some, something, maybe it was like their first rehearsal for a tour uh-huh. and it went really well or something really good happened. So he right. was in a good mood and that was maybe why he was more likely to, to uh, say yes to it. That's great. I think he's proud of his body. That's <laughs> yeah. the takeaway. Not ashamed. It's a good bod. Keeps <laughs> it tight. Will, do you have any off-screen Conan memories? I mean, did you two chat when you'd come on and what was your relationship with him like? Not was. I, he's not dead. He was always so busy because he was running around. So I got. I would usually chat a little bit more with Andy. Yeah. And uh, love Andy too. I mean, they're both fantastic. And but other than that, like I, mm-hmm. I, I ran into uh, Martin Short had a uh, a cocktail party, and I somehow got <gasps> invited to this. And Conan was there, so I got oh, to what a dream. talk to him. But it was it was just fun because it was. Yeah, a lot of different. Uh, I I remember Conan was there and Kimmel and everyone's talking to, you know, everyone's everyone's all friends. But you know, getting to see all these comedy legends and and uh, just a bunch of people that I that I have so much respect for uh, was was really really fun. But that was one of the rare outside of work experiences I had uh-huh. seeing Conan. You know, he's like it's like spotting a the albino rhinoceros. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was trying to look. Oh, a kiwi bird spotting a oh, kiwi bird in the day. Bird. I just spent some time in New Zealand. So. <laughs> uh, I was curious. Are are you doing a live action version of? You mentioned Acme. Oh, so it's like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit type deal. Where uh, it's, okay, it's, you know, live action and a mixture of the two. Okay, got it. Yeah. Live and animated. But I got to play uh, Wiley Coyote's uh, lawyer. Oh. Which is very exciting. <laughs> That's great. Very exciting. <laughs> it's so, it's it's really fun. They're, they're, everyone's really nice. And we start a week from uh, Monday. So, mm. so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, good luck. Thank yeah. you. And, and Will, do you have any final favorite, uh, were there any Conan memories that we didn't get to or any memories from i just will always remember it really was like it was fun every single time i did it but i will never forget being a part of that new york show when he came back the people were so rabid to see conan and just being a part of that show was just i mean it was just something i'll never forget it was such a people it just showed me how much people love conan and how excited they were to have him back you know he was he was a part of New York, very much like, you know, like Saturday Night Live. You mm-hmm. you can't not think of New York when you think of Saturday Night Live. And Conan really inserted himself in there and, and was like another of the New York icons. So, you know, when he left, New York was short an icon. 
<laughs> it was really fun to be a part of people showing their love for Conan. And, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who's been a huge fan since he, since he started. And, and so to have gotten to be a part of this show and it enough of a part of the show that I'm actually on a podcast talking about him, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I would have been very excited if I starting out in the business knew that, you know, 25 years later, I'd be in this position, I, w- I would go, Oh, good. Then, you know. You'd be, first of all, like, what's a podcast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that just radio? I don't understand. You got a good point. You got a good point. <laughs> Thank you, Will and Will's dog uh-huh. for joining us. Yes, all the way from Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's right. Let's read a listener question. I love listener questions. Me too. Because it means there's listeners. That's true. Who are literate. Who are literate. Exactly. (laughs) That's always been a goal for us. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. Okay. Hi, Jesse and Mike. I really love your show. (gasps) Now I feel like our producer wrote this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I heard that the Conan writing staff, like the staff at a lot of other late night shows, are broken up into two teams. The monologue writers and the sketch writers. Is this true? And if so, which teams were you on? (laughs) Did you ever get to switch to the other side? And do you prefer (laughs) writing monologue jokes or sketches? Best, Alyssa. Thank you, Alyssa. Hey, that's my middle name spelled like that. Wait, is that true? It's true. A-L-Y-S-S-A? It's spelled like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, let's answer a question. So yeah, Alyssa, you're right about this. Our staff was broken up into monologue and sketch. Yes. It happened that way right from the get-go in 1993. I'm guessing maybe, you know, with Robert Smigel and Conan coming from SNL, maybe it was that kind of... Oh, Weekend Update? Weekend update yeah. is more monologue joke versus sketch. I'm, gu- I'm guessing. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So... And writers were traditionally hired for one or the other, right? Absolutely. Yes. It was like, oh, we have a monologue opening on the staff, oh, we have a sketch opening. It was one or the other. Yeah. And some people crossed over. Yeah, some people played for both teams. Yeah. Wink, wink. They're called traitors. <laughs> Jose Arroyo did, I know. Yes. He would write monologue jokes. I mean, he, I I think, would at least attend the monologue meetings and, mm-hmm. and pitch there, right? Uh, yeah, no, and uh, he would regularly write and contribute monologue jokes. On a regular basis, yes. He he really enjoyed exercising both muscles. And I will say, as things went on, I think towards the end of Late Night and all of TBS and The Tonight Show, a lot of the monologue writers did double duty and started pitching sketch ideas as well. Yes, which I was, was always impressed by because I, it just seemed very hard for me to do what they did. Even though I love writing monologue jokes, but the volume of jokes that they had to write was right. so astounding to me. that I, Yeah, and I, I think we've talked about the stats for that before. And yeah. I think it's one of the more stunning statistics about a late night show is <laughs> like four writers, four monologue writers would pump out around 140 jokes a day. Yeah. Which I is amazing. Only... Six or seven. Yeah. And, and that it expanded to like eight or nine as... We went on, but that ratio, that that output on a daily basis, and then the ratio of what's picked, I think, are both kind of shocking numbers, I would think. It's really grueling. It's grueling, but it's also a muscle. And, you know, there'd be interns that would collect premises in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that was that's a skill where you kind of go, oh, this story, story has potential. Yeah. Right, right, right. And they'd do their own premises, too. And then they would just sit down and 
wail on on jokes and pump them out. But in the early days of late night, the monologue writers would go home right after the show taping. Oh, wow. A little perk. And the sketch writers, because they also produced all the sketches. And also the sketch writing just tended to almost start after dinner every night for the next day or the next few days. The sketch writers would be there to like midnight every night. So, oh wow, did they start later or no? They all everyone started at the same time. I I think informally they started later. Like they'd come in at like ten or ten thirty. They were just tended to be later, probably. Yes. Whereas the monologue writers kind of had to get a jump because their first batch of jokes would be due around noon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I I think they just even on their own getting waking up at home or like. On the clock, so to speak, more. Well, in the early days, it was probably, was it reading a newspaper? I mean, that's... Yes, it was. We had newspapers. Wow. You know, famously, the New York Times was terrible for joke writing. <laughs> and uh, Which were good. The New York Post. USA Today. Oh, USA Today. Yeah. The, and the New York Post. Uh, yeah, kind of more the, the more tabloidy... The rags. The rags would give you kind of more pop stuff. You know, the New York Times back then, especially... You know, there's stories they wouldn't even touch till, I mean, it's pre-internet. Yeah. But, you know, they, they might not ever touch back then, you know, that... Well, so when you were hired, was it as a monologue or a sketch writer? I was a sketch writer. Yes. Same for me. Which I loved. Yeah. And you were a sketch writer. Yeah. Before that, before I got hired as a, as a sketch writer, I was providing a few jokes for the monologue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Faxing them in? Or no, they didn't do... No, they didn't do that. But, uh, they would just, they would put me on speakerphone for the monologue meeting. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, it was so terrible. It was terrifying. And you would just read your jokes out loud? Oh boy. Yes. And I just pictured everyone like, you know, pretending they were throwing up or something, you know? So it was, <laughs> it, that, that was, that was a little trial by fire. But um, have you had occasions where you wrote, got to write monologue jokes? Um, I think the there, I, I had gotten a couple on just because there were sometimes days where maybe a monologue writer was sick or it just, right. for whatever reason, kind of they in. needed an extra hand. Yeah. I would always love to write them. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be like, oh, I just wrote eight jokes and I'm completely exhausted. It's, ex- it's exhausting. <laughs> it's barely a drop in the bucket. <laughs> it is very... Like I mentioned, like, oh, the monologue writers got to go home early, but everyone recognized that that was a very intense, very super focused kind of job that, yes, you'd be kind of a dish rag at the end of every day. Yeah. And that's one thing that I think maybe people don't realize if they're trying to get into that Mm -hmm. space professionally that it really is kind of, it's a it's a muscle that you have to build up. And right. that kind of writing is so athletic that you need to start training now if you want to do it because yes. otherwise you physically won't be able to do it when you start that job. It's physically demanding. It's true. And I mean, I know that there are certain late night shows where the submission process does require you to do jokes every day for a week, right. which I think is a really good exercise. So that's something yes. that people should try to start doing yes is just force yourself to write jokes every day and i mean obviously you can dump them on your twitter wherever right wherever jokes are sold but right it's good to get in that practice because otherwise yes you won't be able to keep up and then let's say you're submitting monologue jokes to a specific late night show 
even if you've built up that muscle, you have to now try to gear it towards the voice of the host you're submitting them to. Yeah. And that requires a little homework too, watching the show, getting a sense of the rhythm and how they do it. You know, some late night people, if you saw the joke in print, it would be a whole paragraph of four sentences. It's right. almost like a little s- story. And then others, mm-hmm. like Conan would be very uh, set up, set punch up punch line, line. set up punchline. Yeah. The few words as possible. Right. And also they'd cover, you know, Conan would cover different topics and other late night. Obviously, like The Daily Show would be much more deep dive into, you know, politics. And yeah. so all those things have to be considered too. Oh, you know, it was always scary backstage if Conan was on the fence about a joke. And if I was like, oh, you know what? I think that's going to do well. Do it. Oh, yeah. And you'd have to sell it to him. That's where I was like, oh, boy. Oh, Kiss boy, of oh, death. Boy. You know, like if it didn't do well, I'd but get then a he glance on camera. Maybe look at you personally, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just a little thing. But then I've told this story before. A lot of times he'd come up with a joke in the monologue meeting at the end. of, the, And if that joke killed... He would pause and look at me with a big smile on his oh face. Oh my god! Yeah, it was great. <laughs> but that was fun. He would love but, it either way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, if if it didn't do great, it'd be well. Of course, all his jokes killed. Yes, of course. That goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, that that was a good question. We didn't really yeah, even talk about question. sketch, but I think we didn't because I think the way the monologues put together is surprising. Yeah. To hear about, I think just yeah. We I think we've covered sketch stuff. Such a grind. Yeah. Well, hey, that if you want to hear us talk for a long time about <laughs> your question. <laughs> and if you can guess Jesse's confirmation name. Yeah. <laughs> then please submit your listener questions on our hotline. hotline. It's 323-209-5303. It's free. You don't have to pay for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can email us at Inside Conan Pod at gmail.com. That's, That's our, our show. show. I guess this is our 101st show. It's our 101st, which is just a regular show. Yeah. Next milestone will be a thousand, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And hey, if you like the show and you want to hear us get to a thousand, <laughs> you can support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review. That would be great. I don't read anything, but as long as, or listen, it's my, the only way I can do this without um, just cracking, <laughs> cracking up. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.